Greetings and welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, author, coach, and healer, Andy Grant. Please visit theandygrant.com to learn more about me. Real Men Feel's mission is to remind men that they are human beings and they have the right to experience and express all of their emotions. We have conversations that most men are not having, but that all men can benefit from. I believe the only definition of masculinity that matters is yours. You know, when life gets hard, a lot of men withdraw. They talk even less than normal. In the face of a health challenge to yourself or a loved one, you might be more willing to talk about the logistics and tasks as opposed to the emotional impact. Luckily, my guest today is not most men. He believes in having hard conversations with people going through trauma. David Richmond is an author, public speaker, and endurance athlete whose mission is to form more meaningful human connections through storytelling. With his most recent book, Cycle of Lives, David shares stories of people overcoming trauma and delves deeply into their emotional journeys with cancer. Welcome to Real Men Feel, David. Thank you, Andy. Very excited to talk to you. Cool. You know, I've got to, to, to me, the obvious place to start is, is with, you know, what would prompt you to want to write a book dealing with cancer? Yeah. So it wasn't just cancer I wanted to deal with. It was, it was more trauma. Cause like what you said in the, in, in the open, right. We tend, people tend to uh, talk about tasks uh, related to issues rather than the emotions re- related to issues. And um, long story, but I was at a point when I was at a in transition point in my life, um, going down a path that was a brand new path for me that I could see a huge, long, exciting future. Right. I hit that later in life. At the same time, my sister was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, her journey. And I was very close to her. Uh, her journey was was uh, a very short and a life journey. And I noticed that it didn't matter, Andy, if it was a doctor or friends, close family, um, caregivers, you know, nurses. Not everybody was equipped to talk about the emotional side of what she was going through. And I noticed that this was a recurring theme. And over the couple of years subsequent, I was doing a lot of uh, fundraisers, a lot of events. And I just noticed that that was a, to a certain degree, a thought that resonated with every single person I came through at different degrees, but it certainly resonated with all of them. Like, how do we start the hard conversations around the emotional side of trauma? And I didn't think that I was qualified for finding the answers. I just wanted to shed some light on why. So that people could understand a little bit more about what people are going through, or what they have gone through, and then they can be more empowered to start those hard conversations. So is the emotional journey of of any health challenge or any trauma, is it more than just horrible sadness? Is it is it more than just why me? You know, is, is there more layers to it? Yeah, absolutely. And when I interviewed each person and not not everybody, Andy, was I able to get super deep with, right? Some people you just don't bond with. I'm, I wasn't a proper listener or they weren't a proper talker. We just weren't able to get there. But the way that we framed it, and I found this very early on in talking to people, was I assumed that there was a very narrow range of emotion, when it, emotional responses when it came to such traumas as you know suicide, death of a parent, death of a spouse, getting a cancer diagnosis, these kind of kind of capital T traumas. I thought there was a very narrow range of emotional responses, but I was wrong. Uh, there's a very wide range of emotional responses. And so um, uh, it really allowed me to find out why, like, why could you have gratitude? 
Why could you have relief? Uh, how could you feel um, loneliness, desperation, uh, fear? Some of these things I could understand, but some of them I couldn't. So I framed each uh, each person's story around both the greatest negative emotion that they that their experience provided to them, but also the greatest positive emotion that their um, experience gave to them. And because shockingly, um, uh, a lot of times the trauma that people go through when they're able to reconcile it ends up to be an empowering, positive uh, thing, you know, a, a platform for the, for their, for, to launch them to their better future. So um, that was the framing of all the different discussions that I had. And did each participant have a positive uh, side to this? Oh, most definitely. And um, that is what it's it's really kind of fascinating because I, I know before I embarked on this project that I was guilty of, not with everyone and not to the nth degree, but I was guilty of going, oh man, they got bad news. They're probably feeling this. I better like not say anything stupid. I better like I'm going to exit, right? Because I don't want to, I don't want to gaze in the wrong conversation because they got to be feeling like crap or they got to be so negative or what? Absolutely not. Um, the assumptions that we have about what people are going through are not founded in what they're going through. They're founded in our dumb assumptions about what we think they might be going through. And we really have no idea. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, the long answer to your question, there were very positive aspects of people's journeys. Even if they were dealing with very difficult things, there was a positive side to it. Like, can you imagine this? And again, uh, uh, I'm going to ask you to reach here, but could you imagine being told that you have brain cancer and it will probably end up killing you in surgery? If it doesn't, it's certainly going to end up killing you very shortly after. And could you imagine looking at the spouse that told you that and saying, thank God, thank God it's cancer. Could you imagine the grat What? It's not possible. It's not possible you could think that. And there's no way I could think that too. But but in in this story, uh, this person's life, they were absolutely grateful and relieved to hear that they were diagnosed with cancer because they thought they were going crazy. They thought they were they were their anger and their frustration in life and the and the change in their personality with their spouse and with their beautiful kids and with their friends was due to a fact of they were going crazy. And over a couple of year period, that's what they, that's what she lived with is I, I'm literally going to have to turn myself into an institution because I am going crazy. When she found out it was cancer, what a relief. What It wasn't her. It wasn't that. Wow. So you never know. There could be a positive spin to everybody's journey, but if you can find out what, 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 what they're going through on an emotional level, it allows you to connect with them in a deeper and more authentic way. So you, you talked to 15 people for the book. I talked to many more, but 15 made the book. And those 15 I spoke to for up to maybe two, two and a half years to really dive deep. I mean, hundreds, dozens and hundreds of hours on some of them to really get deep into their stories. So yeah, I, I talked to more, but we weren't able to uncover everything we needed to uncover to, I think, give the reader a good enough view into, you know, that lay it out, bear, reveal it to the you know, the deepest, deepest levels of our consciousness and subconsciousness and awareness and what we hide inside, because we're all hiding stuff inside, we could reveal that in a way that it would help the reader. So, but 15 made the, made the cut. How did you choose who to talk to, to begin with? <laughs> um, 
So what I wanted to do, Andy, was to hit all different age ranges. Um, they had cancer one time, or they they were an oncologist who dealt with cancer their whole life. They had cancer five times. It was severe. It was not severe. Um, that uh, just every kind of cancer. It's just I wanted this three sixty view, and then I said, well, if when they encountered cancer was point A. Everything that happened before point eight, all of the young adult trauma, the adolescent trauma, the childhood trauma, the stuff that I maybe could have a, an understanding about, you know, drug addiction or suicide of a parent or abandonment or abuse or being bullied or something like that. How did those traumas when point A came along cancer, how do those traumas affect their emotional journey to point B, which is today? So how I found people was to say, okay, I've got to wheel of all the different types of cancer, ages, experiences, whatever. Now, let me frame that around what I think are pretty interesting and relatable and moving traumas, because we all know we've all been through stuff. Nobody knows what we've been through, right? But I wanted to shine a light on really interesting stories so that I could get to kind of the heart of the matter. So when a friend says, no, like I'm fine, I don't need anything, are they, are they really fine? Do they really not need anything? When, when they say like, uh, when, when you know, when they're leaning on you for something, are you the last person that they trust or you can't tell? I mean, there's so much behind what, you know, what's going on with them that I really wanted to bring stories that I thought would be a wide range of, of topics and emotions that we might be able to relate to. So amongst all these people and and searching for varied experiences and and diagnoses, mm -hmm. were there common themes amongst everybody? Uh, yes. So some of the common themes were one, uh, everybody said pretty much, I don't know why we're talking. My life's not that interesting. Right. Which is shocking to me because. I didn't talk to one person whose life wasn't absolutely stunningly, amazingly, inspiringly fantastic, right? Like so like powerful. You, you, they're just living their lives. They're like, yeah, you know, like whatever. But when you uncover the stories, so each one felt that their story was not that interesting, which I found fast. I still find fascinating. So that was a commonality. And I'd say it, um, at different levels, but certainly uh, consistent with everybody's experience with trauma, especially as it relates to cancer, as either a patient or doctor or whatever, didn't matter, was some amount of isolation. Cancer is just a little bit weirder like that. Like we just don't like to talk about it. And we might be able to wrap our brains around an accident or we can wrap our brains around diabetes or we can, we can wrap our brains around a lot of things. Cancer seems to be a little bit kind of voodoo, like scary, otherworldly. And it causes people to be abandoned or self-isolate because they don't want to bring people down or nobody will understands what they're going through, or it's not a death sentence, but they, we think it is or vice versa. And it's just a really weird area. So I think that uh, there was a certain amount of isolation um, and abandonment that came with, with uh, this type of trauma specifically. So th that makes me think of the assumptions you discovered as, as kind of the, the others, the, 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 well, nobody, I don't believe that anyone has had becomes an adult without trauma at some level, but the people, not the, uh, not the participants of your book, but their friends and family make mm -hmm. assumptions about not wanting to upset them. 
But then yes. it sounds like they all make their own assumptions too about not wanting to upset anyone else and choosing self isolation. Uh, we're, we're all every every party is making assumptions about the others. Yeah, no, no question. That's absolutely true. And I'm going to tell you, there's not a person listening that won't relate to this. I was recently talking to a woman. She said, listen, I had a dad who was the kind of dad that was like, man, you don't show weakness. Uh, he's like the man of the family. He's got the responsibility. He takes that responsibility. It's not a burden. It's who he is. It's the way men are. It's the way the family is. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And I could totally relate to, I can have a picture of her dad. Right. Then her dad gets stomach cancer. He gets very, very sick. He's eventually on hospice. And really, there's nobody else around but her. Okay. And she's kind of got to take care of him, you know, take the feeding tube in and out. I mean, really, really, really take care of him. And you can imagine how uncomfortable that was for both of them because that's not the dynamic. He doesn't get help. He doesn't, you don't ask him if he needs help, right? Who can't relate to that? So he ended up passing away and I asked her, I said, you know, geez, how was that experience? And she goes, well, on the one side, it was kind of positive because I got at least to show my dad that I cared and that I would do things for him and that it wasn't a burden to help him. I go, that's a positive. I go, what's the negative? And she said, you know, I just never had the guts to ask him how, how he felt, how he felt about what he was going through. It's just like, I didn't want to put him in an uncomfortable position to say, you know, geez, dad, what does it feel like to die? Like, how are you doing emotionally? Like she goes, I, I just couldn't go there with him. And I thought to myself, man, oh man, is that an opportunity missed? And I totally get it. I totally understand it. And she was like, man, you know, like if I could go do it again, I would make myself uncomfortable and ask those questions. And, and that's what I'm trying to do with the book. Anecdotally, did you notice anything for, for people that had a lot or a little trauma before the cancer? Did they, were they more or less resilient? Did they handle it in different ways? Was, was there any sort of correlation you could come up with? No, I, I think that the only common thread throughout was that uh, some people had reconciled some of that trauma and they could have some perspective around reconciling it. And usually if they were able to come to terms with some of that earlier life trauma, then the relationships that they were able to form or the depth of the connection they were able to form while they were going through cancer or a loved one was going through cancer, um, they, they it helped them. So let me give you an example. Okay. So the, one of the people in the book is, doc, is Dr. Meyer. She's an oncologist at NYU and had been on a oncologist for 40 years when I spoke to her. And her story was kind of two-folded. One of it was that her uh, father had abandoned her when she was a child and abandoned the family when, when she was a child. And that was, that was a lot of trauma to go through. Right. Um, and um, uh, early in her career as an oncologist, Andy, she kind of like took patients and if they wanted to do things, she didn't agree with, if they didn't take her advice, she kind of let it go. Okay. I'm a doctor. They're their own people, whatever. But then like 30 years later, she's had a beautiful marriage. She's raised a daughter. She's had this wonderful family life that she never got to enjoy as a child. And the desperation she felt that people would take her advice because she was such a good oncologist. And now she had the perspective to understand if you don't take my advice, if you don't follow what I'm telling you to do, you might possibly lose out. Like I know, I know what a good life you can, I know how, what a great mother you could be. I know what a great daughter you could be. Like you please don't take a chance on not taking my advice. Take my, you know, so that was 
she reconciled that trauma and used it to her benefit to really connect and really go after her patients to say, listen, man, I know what you can miss out on, right? I know what you can make. And please, 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 you know, like, let me care for you in that way. And if people didn't really jump on board with her program, she said, I can't handle it. I, I can't, I, I can't see you as a patient because I, I, you're possibly going to lose what I could maybe help you get. Right. And so that was a very big positive for her. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So it's as as she healed and discovered how magnificent her life could be, perhaps better than she ever imagined, she became much more adamant and encouraging yes. other people to to do their hardest work to live. Yes. So there were definitely, you know, back to your original point is, you know, kind of what, you know, what, what was a theme there is that if they had come to terms with some of that young adult trauma or had understood it. Like I talked to another guy who, a uh, um, wonderful man. He's just a, he's literally a gem of the world. And we kind of talked about something that became very, very uncomfortable for him to talk about. Cause he hadn't talked to anybody about it. And that was it. When he was six, uh, he walked in on his mom. I'm taking her on life. And it was just absolutely tragic. And it took a while for us to develop the trust, to be able to talk about that. And you could imagine how just in a thousand different ways that could affect somebody in a negative way. And throughout his cancer experience as a young male, a young Latino male, no possible way he would ever let anybody in to give him any help because the underlying issue was they were going to abandon him. They were going to leave him. And you, you feel for that. And so he was able to eventually reconcile that eventually get to peace with it, eventually accept the trauma that he had gone through and try to frame it and move past it. And that allowed him in his life in many other areas to start to open up, to start to trust people, to start to be able to lean on people, knowing that they weren't going to leave him, but he had to be, he had to get in touch with himself. He had to, he had to reconcile those, those emotions and that trauma in order to get to that place. Um, one was very fresh. One was, you know, very, very in those two stories, one was over several decades. So, um, you know, that's kind of some of the common themes that we talked about. Yeah. And I mean, you've mentioned fear of abandonment a number of times already, both mm -hmm. from because of having cancer and also from prior traumas creating that fear. So was, was that kind of was that the most common, uh, let's see, fear that people were at least aware yes. of? Yeah, at different levels. And again, I, I don't want to make an assumption, Andy, but I will bet you that there is every single person listening has somebody in their life that they know is going through something really, really difficult, or they can picture a time in their life when somebody in their life was going through something difficult. And you were like, man, I was going to call them last week, but I didn't. Now it's been two weeks. I don't know what the hell to say. I better not call because I don't know how bad it is. How do I call them and say, how are you doing? Because I'm such an idiot because I didn't call a month ago. And now, and then you just kind of straight arm and keep your distance and hope that, uh, you know, kind of figures a way to deal with it on it, you know? pick up the phone and call people that there's, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. people, people get avoided because they, their people, their circle of people don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to do the wrong thing. They don't want to encroach. And the people that are going through the trauma are going, man, why is everybody afraid to talk to me? Why is everybody afraid to encroach on my feelings? Yeah. And I think in my experience, I find that that, I don't want to upset them further is, is a lie. I'll tell myself. 
It really is. I don't want to, I don't want to feel the discomfort. I don't want to be depressed by having a call with somebody. So I'll assume that that's how they already are. And I can't help them. But yep. And and And, even when when I was guilty of that, I mean, it's beautifully said. Yeah. And it's horrible. That's why if we can all, if we can all choose to assume the truth about what we're really avoiding. Yeah. Just make that you, even if, if it say your assumption is right and someone feels horrible and they want to be isolated. Worst thing that happens is they they don't answer your call, mm-hmm. uh, or you discover and, that you were wrong, and they're glad to hear from you. Like like there's there truly is no downside beyond what we create in our mind about it. Yep. But in, in terms of other trauma as well, like I um I, I was suicidal and made multiple multiple attempts in my life uh, in in my teens and twenties, and I can remember believing that if anybody knew how bad I really felt inside. Like they would run. So mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I would not risk that fear of abandonment. Like I'll, I self-abandoned, I self-isolated and I don't have to worry about anybody else. But so right. it, it does show up in every sort of type of trauma as, 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 as you have already shared. Yeah. But, and Andy, I, I got to ask you, it's a probably equal question. Is it scarier that people might not care or is it scarier that people would care? Do you know, like you could answer that both ways, right? If people really leaned into you opening up to them, isn't that potentially just as scary as if they ran away when you told them, right? And so if you don't know how to connect with people, either answer could work, right? Yeah. And so the, the question is, is, I believe if we're fortunate enough to get to the end of our lives, we really only have two sides of a coin. One side of the coin says, did I maximize the relationships that were close to me? Did I connect authentically in a meaningful way? Did my life matter to even one person, maybe it mattered to several, but did it matter to even one person? I maximize those connections. And the other side of the coin was what regrets do I have that I didn't do those things, right? I didn't connect with people in an authentic way. I didn't, I didn't live my true self. I didn't allow people to love me like these are, or they, I didn't, I didn't show them that I love them. So the gratitude and the regret. And so I, I think that when you can, Sometimes it might hurt because you might open up and somebody might abandon you, but that's just as bad as not opening up and not giving a person a chance to embrace you, in my opinion. Yeah. And I find on the other side, once you go through any so-called negative emotion, there's, there's relief, there's joy. It, it, it lessens. And even if, even if two people are horrible and miserable, but together that almost that shit experience makes a light come out of that even as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I wanted to ask if everybody you talked to um, was interested in the same level of support, but from already from the stories you've shared, the the answer is no, but. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Some people were, were 100% in charge of their own journey. You know, they journaled, they, they, they made the decisions, they saw the doctors, they pressed, they, they, you know, kept it all in stride. I mean, some people were, uh, were masters at, at driving the bus. Other people were like, I don't even know what the hell bus to get on. Right. And so no judgment at all. We're all, we're all capable and or incapable depending on, you know, a number of factors. So it just is what it is. I, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to find the answers. I'm just trying to shine a light on it. So we know how better to talk to people and we know how better to interact with them. So yeah, absolutely. Some people uh, took it in stride and didn't ever look back. And some people only ever look back. Right. And, and, and both are okay. So none of the people that you interviewed were people that you knew already. Is that correct? I knew a couple of them. 
Uh, yeah, I known a couple of them, uh, but I didn't really know them. Right, I didn't not, know their true stories. Yeah, you know, I, I, mean, I could, yeah, I could tell you one super quick. I mean, she was a she was a physician, OBGYN, had non cancerous tumors on her brain, and uh, it, they forced her to um retire early uh really create she had horrible migraines i won't get into the whole story but just it's a terrible life for several years uh young young kids husband we were great friends and i knew the struggles that she was going through with regards to that but when i asked her hey would you talk to me and tell me you know a little bit more about your life and frame about this stuff the things that i uncovered about her were just shocking um, she was on one of the last boats to leave Vietnam on the fall of Saigon, uh, came to America uh, as a young child with her family, had experienced just absolutely heart-wrenching discrimination, um, had, uh, uh, you know, forcibly, uh, you know, I, I can't even get it, just, just horrible childhood, grew up to be this beautiful, caring, wonderful doctor who wanted nothing more than to to help people build families and take care of them. And, uh, and that was stripped away from her and I knew it was stripped away from her, but I didn't know how much it meant to her. And, um, so, so just the, the fact that people, a few people that I knew gave me a space to uncover all the hidden things I didn't know about them that you, and I'd known her for 10 years. I'd known her and her husband for 10 years before that. I didn't know those things. Um, but, but when people want to, if people really want to help others, it's shocking the links they'll go to, to help them. So what did you do to get people to open up and share so deeply to often tell you things that they hadn't told anybody else? <laughs> um, well, you do this too, right? I mean, you do this by interviewing is you give people a safe space, you active listen. Um, and I wasn't able to bond with everyone and neither were they able to bond with me, but the people that, that we were able to do that. It just, um, it was safety. It was, it was being in a safe place. Um, I'm not judging. I'm not uh, coming up with a solution. I'm not preaching. I'm not waiting for you to preach to me. All we're trying to do is examine because look, I mean, I can't imagine just from the very little you told me, Andy, that there is or has been a hell of a lot of unpacking going on with issues that you've gone through in your life. Right. I mean, I have a friend who says to me, David, you know what? Every day, I just, the hardest thing for me to realize is that today's not the day I'm going to put a gun to my head. And I'm like, man, he goes, oh, that's kind of less a level of depression I have, but at least I know it. He goes, and I don't think I'll ever get there again. And I'm like, dude, you have so much crap to unpack. It's unbelievable. He goes, yeah. He goes, I don't know if I ever will, but I, uh, so, right. So we talk about it. You just, you just never know. So, so I think that um, what, what was a blessing for me was that I found people who said, Oh, if I reveal like everything, it might help someone. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's try. And sometimes we were able to go there. Sometimes we weren't, but when we were able to go there, it was pretty magical. And would it be the same advice for people not writing books, but wanting to connect deeply to the people dealing with trauma in their lives? Yeah, it's don't be afraid to ask the hard questions, right? Now, again, not everybody can talk. Maybe you're not able to talk to everyone. But when people are going through difficult times, especially when it comes to, you know, those big major traumas, um, I, I think really actively listening, act, actively probing, like 
take away the guilt of I should probably not be asking you this because it's going to take away all the guilt, you know, all the BS um, and just give it a shot. I, I really think mo more times than not, I would say, honestly, if I did offend anybody with the depth of the question, with the probing type of personal stuff that I had asked, even if they didn't make the book, if I had offended it, I didn't know. Right. Because I, I'm going to assume that I didn't. It's just sometimes we were able to go there. Sometimes we weren't, but nobody ever said, what the hell are you doing? You can't ask me that. That's none of your business. I'm not going to tell you that. Not never one time in years of talking to dozens and dozens and dozens of people. So it really made me, I, and I wouldn't have guessed that going into it. What do you hope readers take away from the book? Well, I have gotten a lot of feedback about what readers have taken away from the book. And, and I just hope more do that because what I want them to take away is a little bit more of an understanding that there's possibly more behind Andy's story that, than I know that there's possibly more that he's gone through or that he's going through that I just haven't been um, a party to. He hasn't opened up. We haven't had that kind of relationship. It hasn't, the need to, to unpack that stuff hasn't arisen whatever. But if you're having a really difficult day or a difficult time, or I'm having a difficult day or difficult time, and we have an opportunity to connect, maybe I'm like, oh man, yeah, like I, it's okay. I can ask that question. I can probe. I, I could, I could risk, I could risk it. I could ask for help. I could offer help in a, in a, in a real difficult way. You know, what uncomfortable, that uncomfortable way that you talked about early on, yeah. you know? How did participants perhaps it was after two and a half years of interviewing perhaps it wasn't was the book was out but how how did they respond like what what was the what was i'm i'm, I'm sure there was a benefit for them for, since they were sharing things they hadn't shared it's yeah them unpack so what, what did they share was was there some of their outcomes from being part of this book yeah so there was two two camps so one camp was all right i got the project i'm gonna give you the free pass Let's let's figure out what kind of rides we go on. Okay, now let's, let's let's exit the parking, go and get in our cars and go home. Okay, that was one camp. It's like okay, they were there for the experience. It was cathartic for either or both of us. We told the stories in an authentic, deep, revealing way. Now let's move on. The other camp was we were really able to to have an impact on each other, um, and really talk about things that gave people at some level a safe space to to examine to self-examine to 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 reveal to themselves because you know listen that inside voice is way different than the outside voice and we keep so much hidden when we we, we talk to ourselves i dropped a, a 30 pound weight i was working out in january uh in my garage and i dropped a 30 pound weight on my foot right and I screamed bloody hell for 20 minutes and I fell down on the ground and I might've called myself a blanking idiot like 500 times in the first half hour. And then I said to myself, you know what? If that was your best friend that had done that. Would you call them an effing idiot 500 times? Of course not. Like, dude, things happen. Like it was an accident. It's not your fault. Stop telling yourself that you're a, that you're an idiot. So our inside voice is so not kind. And I think that hearing their outside voice about things that they had had a negative inside voice on for years or decades was a really helpful thing. I've always said that the, you know, that, that judging voice, that negative ego is loud. 
mm-hmm. and our intuition, our our higher self, that that those little hunches are much softer and quieter. So if oh, yeah. if if we take action on the littlest voice, that loud one dissipates. Yeah. And and one thing I'm, I'm really hearing from you, and I, I imagine this is a big takeaway from the book, when that thought, when that person crosses your mind, because they're healthy or ill or going through anything, or you, you have no idea what they're going through, just, that's the time to reach out. Anytime, any call, like reach out, stay in touch with with the people you consider your friends and be willing to make new friends. Or even people that aren't your friends that you know, because I'm I'm going to tell you they're probably feeling abandoned. They're probably feeling a little bit isolated, you know, and I, I, and I just, it's hard, man. It's hard. It's hard to invade people's space in their private lives. And you know, somebody's going through something, but you don't really want to ask. And are, is it proper? Uh, it's not always, but most of the time it is. I'd say the vast majority of the time it is proper to let somebody know that you care in an authentic way. You know, don't tell them you're sorry. Don't be sympathetic. Don't, you know, try to make it better. Just call just reach, reach out and call somehow. Hey, I was thinking about you. You must be going through a lot. Is there a chance you want to talk about it? I'm here to listen. That's hard to do, man, but I'm telling you, it can really pay off. Yeah. And I find that, you know, I don't say it's hard to do anymore, but it's because I've done it enough. So sure, get over that hurdle. Like it's, it's, it's a skill like anything, you know, the more practice you have, you can be, you can be that, Oh, that that safe space, that caring mm-hmm. ear, that that presence that helps people. Cause again, it's not a, you're not there to fix yeah. something. You're just there to be with somebody. Yeah. You know, I do these uh, cold dips, Andy. Every every morning I do a five minute cold dip. And and I put a timer of five minutes and tw- uh, 13 seconds because I got to have 13 seconds to put down my towel to start the timer and to get up the courage to jump into the pool because it's so freaking cold. And I say to myself in that last two or three seconds, I want to tell myself, no, I probably do a thousand times internally at rapid speed in the last two seconds. Like, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, I hate this. I do it. And then I do it. And it's like, oh, man, all right, all right. You could handle this tough thing. And then I get out and I always feel better, but it doesn't lessen the resistance I'm going to feel tomorrow. Right. And so no matter how hard it is, no matter how uncomfortable you're going to feel for a second, you're really going to be glad you did it. It doesn't get any easier in my in my book. It doesn't get any easier to start those hard conversations. But almost every time I do it, I feel better after. Oh, awesome! Is, is Cycle of Lives available everywhere? Might people might search for it, or yeah, everywhere. And the good thing is, is each one of the participants picked a charity, Andy, that they uh, that they felt an affinity towards, and so we're putting one hundred percent of the proceeds that come in uh, to split up between those charities. They're listed in the book. They're listed on the website, but most books are sold on Amazon. Uh, I, I sell signed copies and when I do speaking gigs, you know, I sell them uh, or give, give them away or signed or whatever. But yeah, mo- most books are on Amazon. I have a great Audible. Uh, the Audible is uh, 15 different actors. I do each one of the 15 stories, which is awesome. And uh, and it's available electronic or regular book form too. Cool. And and what's the best way for people to learn more about what, what you're up to, David? Cycleoflives.org. Lots going on there. Awesome. Uh, is there anything you're looking forward to? Uh, a, a new book idea or another version of this? Like what? What? What's, I got what's lots brewing? of books going, fiction, nonfiction, all the time. It's really a, a passion of mine. I also do expressive writing workshops, so uh, I kind of help empower people with some tools to reframe that internal conversation um, and give them give them an opportunity to learn how to change the narrative. 
that self-narrative to themselves. So I do a lot of those, mostly to trauma centers, cancer centers, that type of stuff. Um, and I'm still doing endurance athletics. So in fact, uh, uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but uh, yeah, this for five days and I'm doing another half Ironman. So, you know, I'm, I'm staying active. Cool. Did anyone's participation in Cycle of Lives prompt them to want to write more and, and share more of their story or anything like that? You know, I, I, yes, I, some of them I'm not in touch with. Okay. Um, but a couple of them, well, actually, they're, most of them were pretty active in the community already, but some they were re empowered, right? Or extra empowered. Um, uh, but I don't think anybody's done, I don't think anybody's published anything from, from, from us talking. It was more of a, yeah, I'll, I'll do this because it's going to help others kind of thing rather than them wanting to read their own story. You know, reading your own story is a little weird, right? Um, thank, thankfully I, I, I was able to get everybody to sign off on the story to say, yeah, it's accurate. And you've, you've caught me correctly because they're not anonymous. They're real people, real names, real times, real whatever. So, um, yeah, I think I think this was kind of a one-off chapter for them, <laughs> so to speak. All right. Well, I'm glad it's not for you, uh, David. I really uh, appreciate and admire all the work you're doing, um, all the healing through storytelling that that people have available to themselves for mm -hmm. to dealing with trauma and and disease and catastrophes. Um, yeah. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks everyone for listening. Please visit realmenfeel.org. There'll be a blog post for this episode. There'll be plenty of links to all the various versions of the book. Uh, more information about David as well. Wherever you're discovering Real Men Feel, please give a like, a follow, subscription, do whatever the things you can do on the platform that you are finding us on. You can always write me at realmenfeel at gmail.com. And if you're not part of the Real Men Feel private Facebook group, you can visit realmenfeel.org slash group, and that'll take you right there. Until next time, be good to yourself and break through that resistance to have the hard conversation because the breaking through the resistance is the hardest part of that hard conversation. Be well.